Welcome to Hospitality Forward. With listeners in more than 90 countries, our podcast is a weekly interview series where we chat with top journalists from around the world. In each episode, our media guests share their insights and tips on how hospitality and travel professionals can be featured in their stories. My name is Hannah Lee. I am president and founder of Hannah Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. We are specialized in building national and international brands for restaurants, bars, hotels, travel destinations, as well as spirits and wine brands. And I'm Michael Anstenzik, editor-in-chief of Hannah Lee Communications and a food and beverage writer and author. As a journalist myself, and Hannah is a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its positive impact on someone's career and business. That's why we created this podcast, to give back to the community. So tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app, and listen to these thoughtful journalists who kindly share their practical advice. We're also excited that our Hospitality Forward podcast is part of the credited university curriculum of the New York Institute of Technology in both the U.S. and Canada for their business and hospitality programs. Hannah and I are also the authors and producers of our agency's first book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, which was recently nominated for a 2022 James Beard Media Award. The book is also an Amazon editor's pick and a Barnes & Noble Best Book of 2021. It's also available at independent bookstores nationwide. Each week, we give away a copy of The Japanese Art of the Cocktail to our listeners. For a chance to win a book, please share a tip from our episode that you found most helpful and email us at hello at hanleycommunications.com. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Garrett Steiner, a writer and editor based in Los Angeles. As a freelancer, Garrett has covered the resilient bar Thunderbolt for the Los Angeles Times, written a bar crawl guide for GQ, and documented the history of tiki drinks and Chinese food for Punch. Most recently, Garrett was a staff reporter at the Los Angeles Times and was the food editor of LA Weekly and Los Angeles Magazine. Garrett's also the author of three critically acclaimed cookbooks, including the New York Times bestselling Pepper Thai Cookbook, Pepper Tegan, and Cook Real Hawaii with Top Chef fan favorite Sheldon Simeon. Hi, Garrett. So nice to see you. Welcome to our show. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. So let's start at the beginning. You earned a degree in screenwriting at Loyola Marymount in L.A. How did you transition into writing about the food world? I had always known I'd, I wanted to do some type of writing. Um, I think when I moved to LA, you know, like a lot of people, I had, you know, stars in my eyes and, and kind of wanted to do the Hollywood thing. And, you know, I interned at a studio after I graduated from school and, you know, it was fine, but it didn't really, it wasn't really, I think for me. And so I kind of was kind of scratching my head what I would do next. And a lot of food bloggers that had started on a blogging platform as an independent bloggers and we're kind of transitioning to like writing for you know publicate local publications all weeklies things like that um so i kind of caught the tail end of that in some ways 
um, where I, I, I briefly, briefly had a food blog that was just kind of a hobby. I didn't do it for very long because I, then I was like, oh, I should just pitch places that will pay me to write it, you know? And at that time, I mean, I, I was always interested in food, but to me, the food writing was a way to really um, explore LA and and get out there. And, and it, it was an excuse to really kind of deeper my, you know, relationship with the city, learn more, try new things. And so that was really what kind of just, it, it felt like something that I wanted to do in my free time, but also I could, I could get paid a little for it. So in your opinion, what sets the LA food scene apart from other cities? What makes it so dynamic? There's not like a, a, a center of gravity in the way that New York has or other kind of large cities. There's really room to try new things. Um, I think in the past, you know, what people talked about was this very strong immigrant-driven restaurant scene. People still refer to that. I think that's that's unfortunately kind of changing because of how expensive the city is and a lot of costs that are being driven up and people are being driven out by high rents. But in place of that, you have now second or third generation restaurant owners who are saying, okay, you know, I grew up around these restaurants in Koreatown or, you know, the Valley with a you know, huge selection of sushi restaurants or Armenian food in Glendale. I, I can take all those influences and really kind of create something new out of that. And, and people, I think people here are really open um, to trying new things and they're really open to different formats of not just food, but styles of service, whether it's, you know, taco trucks or pop-ups. And there's just a, a willingness to be receptive to different forms of expression in terms of hospitality and food that I think is what sets LA apart. And, you know, as fans of all things coffee-related, we found your story on Vietnamese coffee uh, to try right now in Southern California. Very exciting. Oh. It really gave us a list of great spots to visit the next time we're on the West Coast. So why did this topic in particular capture your imagination? Yeah, that was a funny story because, you know, there was like two elements to it. Um, like the editor, the editor I was working with, like I kind of wrote a short list of a couple of places that I recommended. But also a much longer, I think it was a couple, you know, a couple thousand word feature story about the kind of greater culture of Vietnamese coffee and how it's kind of evolving in America right now. That story came about because there was a coffee shop in Westminster, which is kind of part of the greater Little Saigon community, which is the largest uh, Vietnamese American enclave in America. Huge amount of Vietnamese owned businesses. Um, it's, you know, obviously been that way since the late seventies after the Vietnam war. Um, so it was, it was a coffee shop that was relatively new. And a lot of people had told me, Hey, this, this has the best Vietnamese iced coffee hands down in, in little Saigon. And that caught my attention because a lot of the, everyone has their favorite, but a lot of them are kind of on the same, the, a lot of them taste kind of the same, right? Um, it's just like really strong coffee and then the condensed milk. And I think this place kind of was doing something different. And I wanted to understand what that was. And then I kind of fell into this world of like, not a lot of places are directly sourcing their beans from Vietnam, um, even though that seems kind of counterintuitive to Vietnamese coffee. And the reason why is really complicated. And, and so now you have nationwide, a lot of second generation coffee shop owners who are saying, I want to replicate the experience of coffee that I had in Saigon. Uh, you know, and, and so you're thinking, how can I get these? How can I get those beans? How can I roast in the right way? How can I make sure that's a reflective experience? And so just really understanding that and taking readers through the context of what Vietnamese coffee is. That was a, that was a cool, I feel like I learned a lot in that story. 
now, you know, I, someone actually just reached out to me um, in a, an L.A. based coffee roaster that is now just launched doing coffee source from Vietnam. So now it's like, oh, I'd love to do a story with them. And so it kind of continues on um, just from that one story. You also cover cocktails and bars, and you had a great story in the L.A. Times on Thunderbolt. Oh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, you know, it was ranked number 61 on the world's 50 best bars, 51 to 100 list. And you really got into detail about Mike Capofieri, its owner. I mean, he not only kept the bar afloat during the pandemic, but he emerged as a global contender, which is incredible. And stories like these really inspire you know, other people in our industry. So how did this bar get on your radar? Well, that, that story was really interesting because, you know, I had been, I had been to Thunderbolt before the pandemic and I had kind of gotten takeout cocktails there a couple of times and I really loved their drinks. And, you know, when I saw that they had been named to the uh, world's best bar, the extended list. And, and to me, that was really cool. Right. And so I think for every story, a lot of stories I, I, I look at, I'm looking at like kind of the macro and the micro or like the text and the subtext in that, like, you know, the, the, the hook, the hook of that story was that they had made the list. Right. And then the more I learned about it, the more I was like, wow, I didn't realize that they were really close to closing during the pandemic, you know, or, or I kind of got more into like, or what is this bar doing? That's really unique. And to me, that was their takeout cocktail program. And so, you know, the, the excuse to get in that story was the, the being named to the list. But then once I was writing that story, it was like, Hey, there's really interesting things going on. Um, in terms of, you know, what, what does it say about the future of bars in terms of the way they're, this bar is approaching drinks and how they're serving people, how they're kind of meeting demand where it is. And, and also, yeah, just the human story. I mean, Mike is a, a really tremendously interesting person. Who, and just to kind of have a personal element of his story and his struggles keeping the bar open, um, just kind of add a lot of texture. So I think ostensibly it's a story about a, a bar getting a cool award. Beyond that, the subtext is about, you know, a, a really an underdog story and, and how someone can kind of, they can innovate their way out of a crisis. So, I, yeah, I think that was why it was a really cool story to work on. And and once again, it's definitely something that when I pitched it, I didn't really realize how deep the well was, you know. Yeah, I and mean, I think it was a very timely, but it was a very human driven stories. Not, not to mention, Mike is an amazing guy. So thanks for spotlighting him and his resilience. Oh, it's my pleasure, yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, over the years, the L.A. cocktail bar scene has been blossoming. And we just love seeing how even like our NYC top bars, like, you know, Bathtub Gin and Death & Co. and Employees Only, they have expanded you know, from New York City to the city of Angel. So it's great to see that LA is not only offering amazing food scene, but also cocktail scene. So more reason to travel to LA. Yeah, definitely. As a freelancer for various national media outlets, so how do you find stories? Where do you go for inspiration? I would say just things that catch my attention. I mean, things I read, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty voracious reader in terms of other kind of food media, but just national media. I think social media plays a part, but just kind of seeing, I mean, you kind of see something that piques your interest and you, and you look into it and you, you know, or relationships you build and, and occasionally, yeah, occasionally there's a PR pitch that might bring something to my attention, but rarely is it, is it I'm going to kind of take a, a, a prepackaged story that is given to me by, by a PR email um, I think sometimes that can kind of help inform your work. But ultimately, I think I, I have to, just the way I kind of come up, 
come to ideas is I have to kind of like construct them in my head and they come from a lot of places. And that's it's hard. I get that can be frustrating for some PR people because, you know, I, I'm going to take this email that you have, this information, I'm going to put it, you know, in my pocket. I might use it six months from now. I might use it a week from now. You know, it, it just depends. Um, but I think having kind of this toolkit of all these sources and things that you can draw from and keep them straight in your head is ultimately the best way to kind of find a story. Or, or say when an editor says, hey, I really want to do something on this topic. I can be ready and I can know that I have things I can pull out and focus on, you know, because I've kind of filed them away in my, my own mind or whatever attempt of organization I do on my computer. In coming months, what type of stories will you be working on? Um, can our listeners get some scoops? Yeah, so I just finished the story for um, Resi, uh, which is the um, reservation platform that has been doing a lot of really good restaurant content. And it was about, it's about Spago, uh, Wolfgang Puck's restaurant. It's the 40th anniversary of Spago. So it's kind of a retrospective. I talked to a lot of people who were there from when it opened in 1982. Um, and also just a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of like archival research. So I like went back and read all the stories that were written in the Los Angeles Times in 1982 and other publications. And, and really just kind of piecing together the story of how Spago got to where it is now, but also what it means for restaurant culture right now. And, and how that influence is still felt. So that's probably what I'm most excited about coming up. In addition to Spago, um, now you know, a lot of restaurants and bars and hotels are opening and reopening. And it's great to see that our industry is like in full swing. Um, but will you be writing more about chef or bartenders or openings? Or what would be your more like go-to sort of like topics in coming months? Um, I don't know. It could be lots of things. I think right now where I kind of see things headed is I think that there is a lot more interest in work that is really consumer facing, you know, because well, look, I've been doing this for many years. The question I always get is where should I eat now? Right? Where do I go to eat? And I think during the pandemic, you know, a lot of food media, we understandably transitioned to personal stories of chefs and, and employees. But we can't forget that ultimately what we do is we write on behalf of the reader, right? We're not writing for, we're not writing for chefs. We're not writing for restaurant owners and we're not, and we're especially not writing for other food writers, which I think sometimes is kind of maybe felt like it's bled in a little bit with, with, with uh, kind of that small social media circle we caught up in. Um, so I think writing stories that, like I said, earlier really kind of connect with the reader and and provide useful information and insight it's it's helping people understand and and kind of understand the context of a place and ultimately that should hopefully make them want to go there uh, but it always has to be done with the reader in mind so let's circle back to pitches for a moment uh, as a freelance writer myself i got quite a few and you know some of them do get my attention so on your end, what are the top three tips you'd like to share with our listeners for writing pitches that'll, you know, grab your attention? Um, I definitely like the kind of, um, you know, uh, how do I put this in a, in a kind way? Get to the point quickly, right? And I, I want to know who, what, why, and where early on. Um, and I think one thing that maybe deters me a little bit is when I think, like, there's too much of, like, I'm going to try to set this story up and tell the story. Um, and ultimately you're, if, if a, if a person, a, a PR agency is, is letting me know, 
I, I'm not, I don't need to be enthralled by your story. I need to understand what the, what the bones of the story are. Um, so really understanding the relevant people and, and, you know, facts early on is really helpful, but also just thinking about, you know, some ideas about some larger context ideas, right? Um, some things that maybe, you know, and I see this a lot too, where if, uh, you know, a, a PR agency has one client that they're working for that is part of a larger trend, they will also point out other non-client restaurants or, or businesses that might fit in with that. And I think that can be really helpful, right? Um, so, um, yeah, just kind of like, don't be afraid to connect the dots if you see something, but also don't have it so um, strict that you're not leaving some room for the writer's interpretation, right? And in general, yeah, I think I think just making sure that the relevant information is there, some ideas of how it could be timely, um, and and those are the biggest things. It's just kind of putting it out there, and once again, letting the writer kind of, you know, it's like leading a horse to water, right? You're kind of putting it out there, and hopefully, the writer can kind of assemble it a little bit, and then be like, "Hey, this is a story," you know, and, and let let them let them do their job a little bit. Now, let's talk about social media. You mentioned briefly about um, how you are using social media in your work, but um, can you tell us how it actually has changed the way you work? You know, I think the longer, I mean, I'll, I'll talk mostly about Instagram because I'm not, for the life of me, I've never been able to like really muster that much energy for, for Twitter. But with Instagram, I, I think how it is now, um, I think the, what the algorithm like prizes has changed so often like before it was really composed like food shots you know really you know kind of perfectly manicured and and those have now given way to like reels video you know video posts so i think instead of really trying to kind of worry about am i kind of doing what zuckerberg and company have prioritized just kind of think do things that you feel you're passionate about right i mean that sounds obvious but like if I see something that is cool and I'm excited about, just post about it. And, and also, you know, you should also feel like everything you have to have to post has to be a hundred percent in service to your brand. You know, I think a lot of the accounts I follow, I love when they highlight something that just interests them. That's not directly related to their business, you know, or they shout someone else. They really are excited about that, you know, and cause I, that, to me, that's a means of connection. I can see, Oh, this person likes this or is excited about that. I am too. That kind of maybe deepens my understanding of of what what interests them, rather than just oh they're always promoting their work. They're always saying it's like you know oh I got to post about the new flavor or the new whatever the new menu item, and it just kind of feels a little rote. So I just I, I think in social media, it's always good to remind people that there's a person behind the posts and not just you know we live in an era of so many bots and, and algorithms and things that are auto generated. So just kind of remind people that like there's an actual human who is excited and things and you know whatever else is is a good social media strategy. I agree, and uh, you want to make if you want to feel like someone is behind it and is showing their passion and their story and through uh, the images or videos. So agree, it has to be per- always personal. Well, let, let's switch gears for a moment and go into more long form storytelling. And you are the acclaimed author of three books. How did you break into writing cookbooks? And as a fellow author myself, I want to know if you could share what the secret is to writing a New York Times bestseller. 
Oh man. I, the reason, the way I got started basically was the first book, which was the night market cookbook. Um, the chef and owner of night market, Chris, he just, he was looking for a co-author. He had liked something I'd written and he just texted me and was like, Hey, I'm working on this book. You know, would you be interested? And to me, it was very intimidating, you know, cause I, I think I had never done something of that scope and the publishing world is kind of very opaque and, you know, there was, I didn't really have a how to manual. So I felt like that book, I mean, people seem to really enjoy it, but definitely I felt like I was stumbling through it and, and it was, you know, it had its challenges, but, um, luckily there was a really, really talented team. Um, and, you know, and Chris too, Chris had such an amazing story to tell. And I think that, you know, for me, it was just like, how can I capture what he's saying and not lose the impact that I'm hearing? Uh, so in, in some ways it's like working on a really, really long extended profiler as told to, right? You're just trying to kind of understand what they're talking about and relate it. And, and at a certain point, I think early on in that first book, I would like record every interview we had and I would spend all this time, oh, I'm going to try to transcribe this. And at a certain point, when you're around that person that much, it almost doesn't make sense to record because you can learn their voice well enough that you can kind of put it in their words later. And maybe you can be almost phrase it in a more clear way in their words than they were able to. So, you know, from that book, that was a great learning experience. Um, Chrissy Teigen and her mom, they were big fans of the Night Market cookbook. And they were looking for someone to write a cookbook with Pepper. And Pepper's a really amazing home cook. And she, you know, has been cooking Thai food in America for, you know, decades. And and just really, like, loves sharing that with her family, right? And Chrissy and John and their kids. And, and just loves being um, an amazing mother and grandma. So to me, that was such a cool opportunity to kind of be able to share in that world and help her kind of find her story and, and just, you know, express herself. And she was awesome. Uh, and, and that was kind of a crazy experience because that book kind of got interrupted by the first phase of the pandemic. So we were working all the way up until March and then it was like, okay, what's going on? And then we kind of took a couple months break and then we came back in, in the kitchen, I think near the end of, uh, 2020 and finish the book but you know the the reason that's the new york times bestseller is is the kind of the reach of of pepper and the and the the a really amazing fan following she has and the way she kind of resonates um with people who you know maybe they have maybe they're have a grandma who is similar you know there's something about her resonates with people on a very broad basis and i think because she's so honest and she just deeply cares about feeding others you know when you start a book like that, you're you're kind of it's like entering into a relationship, right? Because you're going to spend the next months or year working closely with that with the person, and and you know, in the case of Chris and Pepper and and Sheldon, who I you know wrote the Cook Real Hawaii book with, like we just really you know hit it off. And I think that Sheldon was such an amazing. I mean, he's so humble, but also just he really cares deeply about not the, representing not only himself but his community, and 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 just works so hard, and you know is so just thoughtful and, and, you know, respectful of, of where he comes from. And so when you have someone who is so, has such a great story to tell and, and, and tells it with such, you know, purpose and excitement, you just feel really lucky as a co-author because you're, you're basically, your job is to not mess it up, right? Are you working on any new books that you can share with us? Well, has it, I mean, we're, so it hasn't been hundred percent confirmed yet, but I think we're, we're pretty close to starting a second book for Sheldon which I think is great. It's definitely going to be more um, kind of homestyle food. I mean, the first book had a lot of that, but I think really about, you know, because he has four kids, right? Him and his wife, they 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 got four mouths to feed. So I think that 
you know, a lot about what he cooks at home, what he cooks for friends and family. And um, there's a lot more that can fill a second book. So it's pretty exciting to kind of go back in and, and, and explore a lot of things that we, you know, wanted to include in the first book. But, you know, I think it definitely necessitates the second one. Speaking of travel destinations, what spots are on your list to visit and why? You know, uh, my wife and I were actually just talking about this. Um, I really want to get to go to southern Italy. I've done a little bit of traveling in the north. I felt like even then I kind of rushed it. But, um, you know, a lot of the best experiences I've had in Europe have just been like getting outside the main cities and kind of taking a little time in the country. And I would love to do that in southern Italy because I've just always been so, um, you know, amazed by the, the cuisine and especially the drinks culture, too. I mean, to be honest. Um, I would love, I mean, I really soon, I, I, I've been meaning to get down to Guadalajara. I've heard so many people say that it's like vibrant, you know, amazing food scene. I mean, I, I've been in Mexico city. I really enjoyed that, but to see a different perspective and different approach to food, you know, I, I grew up in the town where I lived. A lot of, um, immigrants that I had worked with in restaurants, they were all from Jalisco. And so. Like, I feel like I've always had this, like, kind of really interest in, in Jalisco and, and being able to go there and see, like, the vibrant culture that, that you can experience in L.A. in many ways in its, in its kind of home area would be really cool. What is your favorite cocktail and who would you like to share it with? I'm, I don't know, maybe some bartenders will get mad at me. Uh, but I definitely, like, love a Ramos Gin Fizz. I, like, I think that, you know, that it gets a bad reputation because some bartenders don't like to make it. But I think it can be done well in a very efficient way. I could probably list like three bars in New Orleans where I would love to have it. They would all be great. One writer I'd always love to sit down with is his name's Calvin Trillin. And I, I got a book of his food writing early on in my career. And it just really opened my eyes. And I've always been entertained by his writing and how he takes on so many topics. And um, he's been a New Yorker writer for a very long time. I love his writing because I feel like he, while he is very knowledgeable, and, you know, definitely um, well-traveled. It always communicates and writes in a very approachable way, in a way that is very dis disarming. And I think that's always kind of motivated me is I always want my writing to be approachable and I want people to kind of be invited into the world that I'm talking about. Um, so that's just one person, but, you know, I think, he'd, I think he'd probably enjoy a good cocktail too, so. So before we go, how could our listeners reach you? Um, you can find me on um, Instagram or Twitter. Uh, G underscore SNY. Um, message me there. Or, you know, my website, I have an author website, which is GarrettSnyder.com. You can reach me there. Um, and yeah, I'm always, you know, happy to talk about store ideas or just things you find interesting. I mean, I feel like that's, you know, I try to always have an open inbox policy because, you know, you never know who you're going to talk to and, you know, where I live up. Thanks again for doing this for our community. And I know our listeners who are listening to your episode going to learn so much about who you are and also how to get to you and how to get to your attention. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I feel honored to talk to you. Garrett is a true Angelino who really knows what makes the City of Angels tick and brings a national perspective to his writing. And now that you know what Garrett is looking for, please feel free to email him and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention our podcast in your subject line. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.